Hi, everybody. Welcome to Slide, the Avalanche podcast. This is episode nine. I am Doug Krause, son of Douglas, grandson of Alfredo, great-grandson of Rudolfo, with deep roots in the Mexican-German-Welsh community of Southern Vermont. Coming to you this week from Pound Town. It's a little-known fun fact that Hakaba is Japanese for white horse choking on deep blower powder. It's a loose translation, but one that I favor. Today we crested two meters of storm snow in the ongoing cycle, and I am cautiously optimistic that we'll breach three at some point tomorrow. No jinx, no jinx. Can I get a four? Amen. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Nice to be back to business as usual here in the near alpine temperate rainforest. You may have picked up on the fact that I am a deep powder skier. It pretty much defines me. That's not my job description, but I feel that it's an integral part of my work. Never trust an avalanche worker who is not a passionate skier. I really don't know why they do it. If you're not immersed in the element, you are not only missing out on the key fringe benefit, you are failing to gather evidence. Evidence gathering is most certainly in my job description. So I'm having a hell of a time keeping up with this podcast. The content is stacking up almost as fast as the storm snow. But I require of myself that I do that content justice. It shall not suffer in the face of my evidence gathering. That being said, I don't want to leave you all hanging because I do care. You have been very generous in your praise and feedback. So I'm going to lay a little story time on you. It's not a full episode, but it's a small tale I lived when we were just on the cusp of this storm cycle, when things were a little more uncertain around here. I hope you enjoy it. I think the weather is going to break in 48 hours or so, and I'm hoping to get caught up on content production then. I've got some stuff in the pipeline that I think is pretty cool. A lot of you have been commenting on how dense the content is. Hard to keep up with. If that's been the case for you, I encourage you to go back and listen to some early episodes one more time. My buddy Fritz, the jaded one, is always insisting that people want to hear about the way I think and the way I make decisions in avalanche country. My normal response is a polite session and an inner cringe. That could be awkward and maybe even dangerous. You see, I'm more of a pattern guy than an analysis guy. I write and speak about analysis and I practice it, but I'm a pattern guy, like most that have spent decades in avalanche country. If you want to learn more about expert pattern recognition, I recommend Gary Klein's Sources of Power. When you live patterns and you try to break down your thought process, it's easy to miss the cues that guide your decision making and not include them in your narrative. That's my fear of exposing you to the deep, dark recesses of my mushy gray decider. That being said, I've exposed myself before and I continue to do so. I've written a couple near-miss narratives for the Avalanche Review. That's how I got started writing about avalanches. They could certainly undermine any notion of expertise you may believe I possess. At the same time, I'd like to think they set an example. Hey man, 
We all make mistakes. Let's talk about them. For the love of God, let's talk about them. The only constructive feedback I got in those essays was, wow, that was impressively self-aware. Self-awareness should not be impressive, nor should talking about our own fallibility. Sometimes I go back and read those essays and think, geez, I hope no prospective employer ever reads these. Or my mom. But really, no regrets. If someone can't respect that I want to talk about the mistakes I've made, I don't think I want to work or play with them. Mom is a different story. It was low tide in Otari Village. For the uninitiated, that means that the below tree line skiing sucks, but we've been picking up a foot or two in the alpine every week, and the skiing has mostly been real fine up there. There's not enough snow in my avalanche paths to require the mitigation work that I was hired for, so I've been spending my days training the crew and touring in the alpine. Good work if you can get it. Last year was low tide too, so I accepted a request to produce a daily public avalanche bulletin. Seemed to justify my paycheck, if not my existence, and certainly the local expat community finds it valuable. I made a template I used to translate the meat of it into Japanese kanji, but I have no idea if any of the real locals read it, besides my coworkers. It's a challenge, and I like that. It forces me to look at our avalanche problems from a different perspective than the professional mitigator or the <clears throat> experienced backcountry traveler. On this morning, I went with considerable, moderate, low in the alpine, treeline, and forest, respectively. We'd picked up 10 to 15 centimeters per day for the last few with transporting winds. Wind slab in the alpine is the primary hazard, but the potential exists for that to be a problem near treeline too. There's not really enough snow in the forest to get me worked up about anything. We have a localized persistent slab problem here in the Kita Alps. Facets on crust. December 23rd and 27th saw rain events that rapidly transitioned to cold snow. This set up a melt layer recrystallization regime, or as the Canadians like to call it, dry on wet faceting. Why those Canadians got to make everything so much simpler, I do not know. Basically, you have a rain event that forms an incipient crust. Then it gets really cold, really fast, and turns to snow. That baby crust will stay at zero degrees for a while, but the new snow is cold and dry, and the air temps get well below zero. So that sets up a temperature gradient that leads to fasting of the new snow on top of the crust. It's a powerfully dangerous combination. This combo resulted in a horrible near miss just down the road last week. My thoughts and prayers go out to Tomosan and his friends and family. I was pretty confident that this layer was not a problem in my back 40, but confidence is worth little in the absence of evidence and the presence of uncertainty. So I went on a pit digging tour the other day. I rarely dig pits. They're 
I've said it. But my role as a public forecaster demanded I support my problem statements with evidence. Fortunately for my ego and the good folk that ski the Sugai KBC, my investigations revealed that though there was evidence of fasting on buried crust, it did not seem to crest the threshold of a notable problem. Right here. Right now. Low probability, high consequence? Perhaps. But my thought was that action on that layer would require a massive trigger. So I note it in the discussion, but don't rate it in the problem statements. We had 15 centimeters of new at the top of the gondola today. That's about 1,600 meters. My target zone was around 2K, and I was hoping there would be more new snow up there. Hopefully a lot more. 2K is just about treeline. The winds were picking up out of the northwest. I got a late start because it's payday, and I had to wait for my fat wad of yen to arrive. Cash is king, but getting paid that way makes me feel a little bit like some kind of shady avalanche yakuza. Late start, 9.30. It's cool, but I get antsy when I'm just waiting to go skiing. The wad arrives, and I bury it in the yard and put on my boots and head out. I bump into the boss on my way to the Gandhi and give him a high five. Very strong wind, he says. Yep, 10-4, good buddy. He wasn't kidding. On the way up, I am seriously concerned that my cabin is going to spank a tower. There's an e-stop about two minutes from the top, and I think, great. Now I'm going to be here for a few hours while they evacuate the line. That didn't happen. It fired up again, but they closed it right after I got off and closed the chair I wanted to get on right before I did. No big deal. It added about 15 to 20 minutes to my tour. It's pretty deserted as I skin up the road towards the Hiodori Ridge, snowing two to three centimeters per hour, and yep, it's real windy, even well below treeline. I'm moving fast because I'm alone. I see one pair of dudes touring, but I pass them and continue ascending through the trees where I find an old uptrack, but it is rapidly drifting in. As I gain the ridge, the wind increases. Still below treeline, but it is blowing, snowing hard sideways. Actually, I wind up putting on my goggles, which I am loath to do while touring up. My plan was to hit a zone that I'm very familiar with, but ski a line that I'm less familiar with, kind of a recon thing. The skin track begins to disappear and reappear in the drifting snow. Occasionally the clouds part and the light attempts to penetrate the wind-driven shroud of rhymed stellars. On the last pitch to my intended high point, I encounter a group of skiers coming down what I think of as the storm line. That's the place I ski when I'm not feeling good about conditions elsewhere. That's a good call. The curtain of visibility rises and falls, and they hoot to each other as skiers without a legitimate means of communication will do. That disappearing skin track was set by them only minutes before. The conditions are real. Somewhere along this pitch, I fully ditch the notion of any kind of recon. I'm gonna keep it tight. I'm going to press on to the top, past the storm line, 
and suss an old friend, a line I know intimately and am confident that I can use to minimize my exposure and maximize the snow in my face. A line that has zero uncertainty with regard to terrain. I press past the top of the Hooters track and I'm consummately alone with the strong wind and the deep drifts. Strong is actually a technical term. It means 12 to 17 meters per second or 26 to 38 miles per hour. Whole trees in motion, according to the standard observation guidelines. It wasn't steady at that force, but there were most definitely trees in motion and the snow was streaming across the ridge in the start zones. Deep drifts means I was getting knee deep or more ski penetration on my 138 underfoot touring rig. That gets your attention. And it also makes this old man's back pretty sore. So I top out, and the light and driven snow breaks enough that I can see the entrance to my line. We're right at tree line. I could go back and hit the storm line, but I'm comfortable with the exposure. There's some at the top and some at the bottom, but the middle's all gravy. Should be gravy. Did I mention that I'm listening to a podcast relating the epic of Gilgamesh throughout all of this? That adds context. 3rd century BCE epic poem, Demigods Battling Giants. Not something I aspire to, but a great soundtrack. My entrance looks doable. It's fat, not a technical term, but it's well above the roll. I can take a high line that limits the exposure, and I can see it well. I transition in the snowy gale while Enkidu learns that he is destined to travel to Uruk and slay Gilgamesh. I got a slide move that allows me to press on the recent drifting near Ridgeline while approaching my line. Nary a whimper from the 50 plus CMs of fresh wind drift. I like that. The crux of the exposure gives me an opportunity to do a quick out and back slash on a pocket of steep and deep. Again, nary a whimper. I like that. So I crush the line. Hugging the north side of the rib, wind press pow in my face. It is excellent. I take the conservative egress at the bottom and the exposure is negligible. Steep, but tiny. Nary a whimper. I hit the bottom right about the time that Enkidu and Gilgamesh are deciding that they can be friends and don't have to slay each other. So that's nice. The exit move involves climbing back out of this watershed. It's a quick 20 to 30 minutes on a good day with an existing track. This day is not like that. I put my skins back on and even the gentle down to where I begin the up requires some legit trail breaking. I spy a pair of gaijin looking chiclets digging a pit near where the up starts, but I'm not feeling particularly social and Gilgamesh and Enkidu are dealing with some kind of divine bull sent by an angry god to crush them. So we are otherwise engaged. The up is stout, 
a northerly aspect that, by a quirk of topography, also makes it leeward. Full need of mid-thigh ski penetration the whole way. There was a highway of a skin track here yesterday, but today I'm blazing my own trail, thinking about a second lap. I top out. Gilgamesh and Enkidu have slayed the bull and are planning a quest to slay a giant. There's a whole lot of slaying going on, but now I'm thinking about going home. The skiing is great, but I am am physically beat down and there's going to be a lot more great skiing in my life. Probably tomorrow. Rolling off the south side of Hidori Ridge, I slash my way through the sasa grass, a kind of bamboo that carpets the hillsides here. This aspect in elevation doesn't yet have enough base to fully bury the sasa, but I stick the pockets of power where I find them and dump out to the ski area in Mikasita, a thousand meters below. Back home, I revel in the warm buzz of a great day and head for the Combini to grab a couple of beers, because that's what I do after a great day. I drink a couple of beers and I revel in the warm buzz. By this point, Enkidu has passed to the house of dust, and Gilgamesh is reflecting on his life and legacy. I bump into my buddy Tazimoto in the parking lot. He's just wrapping up an avalanche skills class and introduces me to his group. We swap obs and I let slip that I was alone and that I skied Kami Joe. His eyes are taken aback. I don't think his group saw it, but I saw it. No doubt he has lectured them on the importance of having a partner and detailed specifically why they were not skiing Kami Joe today. I wouldn't argue with any of that. As I amble off, I a pina sheepish. Do as I say, not as I do. He doesn't comment on my decisions, but I'm sure he will if he has concerns. He's my friend. We bear our souls to our friends in confidence that they may say when they think we have played the fool. That is how you drive feedback. That is how I derive feedback. Whether or not you choose to proffer or accept an invitation of that sort is up to you. And that is all she wrote. Thanks for your patience in the face of my assumed obligations and need to wreck pow until I collapse. I would like to promise you a more in-depth episode next week, but I will not. Let's just keep our fingers crossed and pray the storm stops, or not. Thanks as always to Kevin McLeod and Incompetech for the music. Emotional support this week is provided by the Avalanche Review and DPS Skis. If you don't know about the spoon, you don't really know all that deep powder skiing can be. Mine have been starving, and thank God they are now collapsed on the floor, drooling with a distended belly. To all of you that have provided me with feedback and supported this endeavor, you make it worth it. Thank you. Pray for snow.